This is Global Marxism, and I am Frank Goss. I appreciate your participation and hope this information provides you with food for thought as we consider the confusion we're facing in America today. If we were honest, most of us have no idea what Marxism actually is. It has been misinterpreted, maligned, and described as being extremely radical ideology only held by wild-eyed liberals and Soviet ideologues. Is that true? We need to stop and take time to understand. We need to define terms not according to our opinions, but based on proven fact. We need to clarify positions. And the disturbing fact is that the majority of Americans do not know much and care less about the history of our nation. Consequently, most of us do not realize that our government had been compromised and is not only embracing Marxism, but is actively incorporating Marxist principles through legislation in Washington, D.C., and throughout our educational system in the United States. Our politicians are telling us, you're as free as we say you are. Now, how can this even be possible? Let's back up and consider our history. Let's look and see what is meant when Barack Obama said that he wanted to fundamentally change America. Let's see if these things are indeed remotely possible. The more you read, the more you start to understand. And that is the good thing about reading because it enables you to understand. The sad thing is that a lot of people do not read. And if they do read, they do not read critical material. They read simple things, sports magazines and build and stream, things like that. But when you begin to read and understand something about history and our nation and how things are going, your eyes start opening up and you start thinking, this can't be true. This is just one person's opinion. That is the big way to put it right now. Well, that's your opinion and I have mine. Certain things are facts, and it's not a matter of interpreting facts to fit your ideology. It's facts are facts. Snow is white. In spite of what Bertrand Russell, the Fabian Society, and the Frankfurt School people want you to know that snow is black. But the fact is, snow is white. And when you start to understand these facts and this history, you start saying this is ridiculous. So consequently, a lot of people just avoid reading history and they avoid getting involved because once you get involved, you're going to have to take a stand on one side or the other. And we want to avoid controversy and we just want to live our lives quietly, uh, bring home the check, buy the food, cook the food, sit back, relax, and go back to work. This is how we want to live. And you know, before the Revolutionary War, that's how a lot of people wanted to live. But more and more, it became known that you're only going to live as your leaders tell you to. And you may say, well, I won't obey them. And they laugh with a scowl because they know that you don't fully understand that you will do what they tell you to. With no gas, no energy, with no food, no clothing, no ability to take care of yourself or your children, soon enough you will obey. You will do what they're telling you to do. You will do what they want you to do. So don't, don't think that you can escape and live off the grid all by yourself. No man is a nation unto himself. We'll discover these things. Today, in the United States of America, we have gone through a philosophical change, a dramatic ideological shift. And a lot of people don't know or simply don't really care. They don't pay attention. 
They know taxes are getting high. They know bread costs more and milk costs more. A head of lettuce that cost a dollar last year is now $3. They know things are getting out of control. And really, when it starts to really wake up, the American people is when gasoline gets high. In Europe, they've been paying 4 5 $6 a gallon or more for quite some time. But here in America, we are accustomed to cheap gas and affordable things. But we've had some leaders who brought in certain ideological shifts that we need to be aware of. In July of 2012, President Barack Obama was on his campaign tour for his second term in office. And he let his ideology be known very clearly. It's not something he meant to do, but it exposed his ideas about government in a way that not many fully understood, but certain people who had an acumen for these things did understand. It was something that was recognized immediately, but the majority of Americans paid no attention. They didn't care. The media celebrated it, thought it was great. And for the most part, the people just did not understand what was at play. But I want to read you part of the speech that he delivered that day. I have a different view, uh, Barack Obama said. If you've already been successful, you did not get there on your own. You didn't get there by yourself. I'm always struck by people who think, well, it must be because I was just so smart. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there. Well, it must be because I worked harder than anybody else. Well, let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of people who are hardworking out there. If you were successful, somebody along the line gave you some help. If you've got a business, you did not build that. Somebody else made that happen. The internet didn't get invented on its own. Government research created the internet so that all the companies could make money off the internet. It sounds good, and a lot of people applaud it. But you have to look at what he's saying and understand what it means. Barack Obama was and is a statist. He's a global Marxist. He and his group of minions, of who Joe Biden belongs, is fully embracing a radical globalist plan that seeks to destroy capitalism and replace it with a socialist system. Sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? Obama's aim was and is for a greater government control over every aspect of your life. And he wants to blend everything into a global setting. His aim is to see global Marxism established. He walks beside Klaus Schwab, who is the founder and leader of the World Economic Forum. The man who issued a statement in June of 2020 saying, The world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contract and working conditions. Every country, from the United States to China, must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Joe Biden is fully embracing the globalist plan. To convince us of how much the government controls, the economy has to collapse. Supplies must be interrupted. Provisions for you and I have to be just out of reach. Food has to be scarce or so expensive that we simply have to learn to enjoy less desirable things. Our food has to be cooked in a microwave while the elite enjoy their meals at the French Laundry or Massa in New York or perhaps the lobster frittata at Norma's restaurant or even the Fleur Burger at Fleur in Las Vegas, which, with a side of fries, will only set you back for $2,500. But the government will not neglect enforcing the law. The laws have to be applied. But in this case, in our day, they're grossly misapplied, with those favoring the state receiving preferred treatment and those in opposition facing the full force of the law. BLM and Antifa, they rioted, destroyed and burned in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and they demonstrated in excess. 
Buildings were burned and property stolen. People were beaten. And one young man was almost murdered. But instead of him being killed, he managed to protect himself. And he actually killed his would-be murderers. These rioters have not been reprimanded, imprisoned, or charged with any crime. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old boy, is being charged with first-degree murder for defending himself from a sure death. Now, these things are found in the Marxist playbook. This is how you apply the law. This is how you show things to be an absolute chaos. And this is how we will be experiencing the application of justice in the days to come. Crisis and chaos, confusion and struggle, they have to be introduced and experienced. Does any of what is going on seem familiar? This is almost exactly where Barack Obama left off when he left office. Out of control inflation, energy crisis, gas prices at $4 a gallon, flagrant disregard for the Constitution, devolution of education. This is the revolution Obama dreamed about for years. Read the writing of John Drew, Ph.D., who is an award-winning political science. And while he was in college, he attended school with a fellow Marxist named Barack Obama at Occidental College in California. He recounts how Barack Obama assured him of the coming revolution and even said that he and others should organize and grow the movement. Barack wants to see the end of capitalism and the institution of socialism. The irony is that he has amassed a virtual fortune from his capitalistic endeavors and his capitalistic ideologies and practices. Still, during long discussions with the confidant, Bill Ayers, and memories branded in his mind by his mentor, Frank Marshall Davis, he still believes it's all about the revolution. But the seeds of this revolution were actually planted well over 100 years ago. Now, I am not 100 years old, but when I was a child, which was quite some time, Dwight D. Eisenhower was president. It was Eisenhower who led the Allies during World War II. He personally saw and experienced the terribly destructive force of what socialism does. He saw and experienced what socialism could do in a first-hand way. Cities were destroyed, churches were burned, governments were in turmoil, and millions upon millions of people were murdered, maimed, dead. For what? So one man named Adolf Hitler and one ideology could control the world. Now, personally, I have studied this man's ideology, socialism, for quite some time. Not with any admiration, but with a true revulsion of the man and those who followed him and his thoughts. World War II should have been a wake-up period in American history, declaring what we should avoid at all costs. It was a time when mothers from throughout the world had to willingly kiss their sons goodbye for the last time. When teenagers had to rush into the onslaught of bullets and face the bombs of opposition all in an effort to stop the cancer of socialism from growing. These were kids 18 and 19 years old, facing things our present generation can't even fathom. As a nation, Americans lived through prolonged periods of doubt and fear, deprivations and sacrifice, in order to uphold an idea. The idea of American exceptionalism. The idea of America. The idea that all men were endowed by God with certain unalienable rights, such as the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These men fought for the idea that is now mocked by a determined group of Marxist materialist psychophants called the Squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashid Talib, Ilhan Omar, and Ariana Presley, along with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who are desperately trying to stay trendy in their political views. Today, make no mistake about it, Marxism is the political soup du jour. You and I know these unalienable rights as the Bill of Rights 
the first ten amendments to the Constitution of the United States. Today, our politicians know them as real roadblocks and impediments to their agenda. But never mind, they ignore them when they get in the way. There was a time when men would stand for these principles and these rights. But then there was a time when men were made of metal and ships were made of wood. Today, we have a few men of honor, men who have a true understanding of the real cost of liberty and are willing to pay for their own freedom, men who are willing to stand for the American ideal. Men of valor are people that are found in storybooks nowadays. Principles and ideas, according to these progressive ideologists, are just fantasies. What is real is what we can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. Ideals and principles are nothing more than fantasy dreams. Production and financial gain, that's all that matters. Where have American men gone? Recently, a man working in a warehouse called a co-worker Tarzan, an endearing term he used with his own children. He was promptly reported as having deeply offended the co-worker. His manager let him know that giving nicknames was not allowed in the workplace. An offense was taken, and a wall was built. Where are the men? What has chased the love of country, the pride and determination out of the heart of American men? How much bondage, ridicule, degradation, and humiliation will have to be applied before we say no more? Let's take a closer look and examine what infectious poison has been and is presently being injected into the mainstream of society that's causing our nation to crumble from the inside. You've heard these things in the background for years, but you haven't believed them. We've ignored it. You know why? Because I have a mortgage to pay. I have children to feed. I have a car to drive. I have bills to pay. You've not had time to become overly concerned with these issues beyond our control. But now, now that we're seeing certain things, these issues we see controlling us. This is one area for discussion, something we should definitely consider. Mainly because the matter has crossed the line a long time ago. Taxation is taking your mortgage money. Inflation, which is really a vicarious means of taxation, is taking food off of your table, clothes off of your children's backs, blankets off the bed. Fuel costs are soaring to historical highs. They're limiting your ability to move about freely. Winters are long and, and cold, and heating cost is higher than ever. And if you say the wrong thing, you lose your job. If you stand for the wrong thing, you're canceled and shut down. If you don't take the vaccine, you're out of work. John Locke, one of the men behind the establishment of the United States, argued that taxation is theft, primarily because it's taking from you without your permission. Today, our government takes our money and says, we will give you this service whether you want it or not. Rick Perry, a Republican candidate for president back in 2016, walked into a firestorm when he suggested that Social Security was a legitimized Ponzi scheme. He was right, and it was easy to prove. It's a scam, and has been ever since its inception. It was an idea developed and implemented under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one that was modeled after the system established by Benito Mussolini in Italy. The concept is simple. Every worker contributes a little to a fund that would be held in trust for the workers. And it'll be managed by, who else? The government, the one who's collecting the money. Sounds great. At the time of its inception, the average life expectancy of the American citizen was 61 years old. Nobody really took time to notice these things. Social Security would not kick in until the age of 65. 
The government was playing the game, and we were the dupes. They had all the statistics and the facts. They knew the averages. They had the power and ability and the desire to deceive. But would they dare do such a thing? When we're talking about trillions of dollars, yes, yes they would. According to the statistics, the government would gain and the general public would lose. They would lose with every paycheck. Not a lot, but they would lose nonetheless. That is, if you don't realize it, a form of socialism. It's the government telling you they're going to force you to save money for retirement. It sounds like a caring father looking after his belligerent child, right? Our government really does care, right? Well, let's look back and consider just how well our father has taken care of our saving. Congress has taken our money at their convenience. They have spent it and they demand more. Also, the government has taken these funds through inflation. The Constitution literally forbids the federal government to steal your money, but today, our congressmen and senators, the ones that we elect to stand in as our representatives, are not about to let the Constitution get in their way. You're sitting in your easy chair after a long day at work. You're watching the news. You hear a banging on your door. You open it, and you see a man that you've never seen before. He's holding a billy club and a pair of handcuffs. He says he's there for your money. He says he wants to take your money and help the poor and the less fortunate. You think he's crazy. What gives him the right to make such demands? But really, you're unable to resist the guy. He has a billy club, after all. He means business. I'll call the police, you tell him. Well, he pulls out a badge, and he lets you know that he is the police. He's there to collect your taxes. Now he understands what Patrick Henry meant when he rejected federalism and what he foresaw. Alexander Hamilton held that the federal government had the right to take whatever was needed, when needed. Thomas Jefferson stood for the moral principle of commercial exchange only being the result of a voluntary action. It all sounded so good, and it was going just fine. And then came the progressives. I'm not referring to the belligerent radicals of our day. Many are totally unaware of the dramatic shift in ideology that occurred in the first decade of the 20th century. The progressive ideas which essentially have not changed over time, flooded Congress. Teddy Roosevelt, the beloved president, was taken, as were many on the Democratic side of the aisle. Woodrow Wilson was an ardent progressive. Politicians began to preach with evangelical zeal about the benefits of the new principles and concepts that were pouring in from Europe. Their preaching drew the masses, and they had many, many converts. Enough people were convinced, and state legislatures began to adopt the idea of taxation upon, of course, just the rich. They had to pay their fair share right? Tax the rich to help the poor. It's a Robin Hood story. Yeah, right? Americans were promised that the income tax would never exceed more than 3% of an individual's personal income. And furthermore, this tax would only be applicable to the top 3% of earners. You and I would be protected. You see, our government was looking out for the little guy, the proletariat, the worker, you and me. Now, wait a second. Just think about this. Government has the ability to take from you and me and give to those, however much they choose to give, who do not work. And it's more than we actually realize. At the base of this way of thinking is the idea that we, you and I, really do not own what we earn. The government has the right to come in and take what the government has not earned and to distribute it as they see fit. Basically, what they're saying is you're as free as we say you are. This supports the idea that the state actually owns all property 
and the state permits us to keep a portion of our earnings. But it has the right to take whatever it needs. That was an ideological shift that turned us away from liberty to status control. We didn't realize it at the time. But then Barack Obama let us know very clearly that if you have a business, you didn't create that business. That if you've been successful, you didn't do that on your own. Somebody else made that happen. The internet was invented by the government so you could make money. You didn't work hard enough or harder than anybody else. There's a whole bunch of hardworking people out there and we all contribute. And if you do recall, it was Hillary Clinton, wife of Bill Clinton, who let us know that that's not your child. You didn't raise that child alone. It takes a village. We've all been part of the upbringing of that child. You need to realize this. Do you not see? The government has the ability to take from you and I and give to whoever it wishes. And we can't really say a word. And not many politicians are going to vote against a tax. Not many politicians will lower the tax rate. This supports the idea that the state actually owns all property and that the state permits us to be as free as they tell us we can be. I'm not an anarchist. I am one who holds to liberty, faith, and justice for all. In America, there are three ways to gain wealth. Number one, you inherit a large sum from a, de a deceased re relative, and you become wealthy. The government claims 40 to 60% of that wealth. You work long and hard, trading your services and skills for agreed-upon sums of money. The buyer is willing, and you, the seller, are willing as well, so over time you accumulate a substantial amount of money and are beholden to no one but the government. They come in and tell you how much of that money you can keep. Or, number three, you form a criminal undertaking, and through organized deception, theft, and lies, you manage to take money from others and use it as you wish. Men have ignored and altered the meaning of much of what we say we believe. This includes economic principle, theology, and family life. Today, God is not allowed in our public schools, but our children are learning about critical race theory and transgenderism, historical materialism, and sex education. Today, taxes are zooming out of control, and inflation is impacting all of us. And Joe Biden sits in the White House as an illegitimate president, and we're not supposed to say a word. America, if we don't stand now, we will not be able to stand tomorrow. This podcast is brought to you through Vintage Broadcasting. We appreciate your participation and hope that you continue with us in the days to come. Thank you very much.